This is an ABC podcast. If not at 70% and 80%, then when? Would Australia be closer to reopening if the Prime Minister had not failed his two jobs on vaccine and quarantine? Unfortunately, in the background, actions are still proving that they don't get it. Nobody is telling us exactly what's involved in the plan. Australia seems to have left it far too late to help those who helped us. I've had a gutful. I have had an absolute gutful. Hello and welcome to The Party Room. I'm Patricia Carvellis from RM Breakfast, joining you from Parliament House in Ngunnawal country. Ooh, the Nerve Centre, and I'm Frank Kelly on the Gadigal land of the Aora Nation. And PK, this is our post-budget special, just you and I shooting the breeze over the budget highlights, a quick look at the winners and the losers, political takeout. Tomorrow we will be back with the whole regular party room episode and guest. Um, PK, I always, you know, after the budget, I always like to look, and this is the first one I haven't been in the lockup for for ages, but I always like to look at the next day at the newspaper headlines. My favourite this year, I have to say, is the Australian newspapers, which reads The Cost of Winning. That's a play, of course, on the cost of living. And that's a phrase that the Treasurer used many times. In fact, someone I think counted eight times in his speech last night when he declared his plan to be, quote, a temporary targeted cost of living budget. But I reckon the old's got it right, PK, with $8.6 billion worth of, you know, almost immediate cash handouts and tax relief, this is a cost-winning budget. You were in the lockup yesterday pouring over the details. What was your take? My take on this budget is that it is largely a political document about really dealing with the concerns of voters around, you know, the incredible rise in the cost of living um, and that it's targeted in such a way that it does deal with the immediate fix, uh, like fixing an immediate problem. I'll give you an example. This $250 payment that goes essentially to welfare recipients, right? It's about 6 million people that are going to get that one-off cash payment, uh, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you know, begrudge those very, very struggling people, six million Australians, from getting that payment. But it's just a one-off. Doesn't deal with the structural issues they're facing, for instance. You know, like um, I've heard this from a few people critiquing the budget, but this, you know, rent increases are permanent. <laughs> they mm. don't just happen one off. But when do they get it, Fran? They get that. Mm, I'll just. Oh, April. What happens in April? Oh. We're in the middle of an election campaign. So, you know, it's 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 very highly targeted in this way. Another one, 10 million Australians earning less than $126,000 a year will get this one-off additional $420 for the um, for in their next tax refund, you know, when they lodge their uh, tax return. And that's for existing low and middle-income tax offset people, right? But on those people, again... Next year, it takes them, you know, when they lodge their payment for the next financial year, their tax return, but that actual offset disappears full stop. It doesn't get continued by the government. So it's kind of like a future problem for a future government. And then... There's this other one, which is, of course, the the fuel excise, uh, slashing the fuel excise, which is significant for motorists. That's for six months worth around $350 in savings for a regular-sized car. Uh, That $0.22 a litre, it will be the fuel excise for six months. Again, it deals with um, an immediate problem, which is high petrol prices. But it's, I don't, you know, in terms of economic policy, I'm not 
convinced it's it's the most effective economic policy. It's going to have to be highly policed by the ACCC um, in terms of making sure that it gets passed on, for instance. So there's that element, the kind of um, policing side of it and ensuring it happens. But then in six months... It's booby-trapped, right? Whoever becomes Prime Minister, whoever forms government, has to increase it unless they make a decision, which is very expensive, to keep it going. So uh, it'll be Anthony Albanese if he wins the election and the polls are right having to deal with that. So essentially, other than that, it's kind of business as usual. The government's banking on a low unemployment rate to, to drive up wages. But really, the wage story is a big one still, given so many of those wage predictions haven't actually eventuated. Yeah, that's right. Every year there's been forecasts suggesting wages will go up. So far they haven't. The government keeps promising that the incredible um, unemployment forecast, which is has unemployment go heading down by September, I think it is, to three and three quarter percent. I mean, that's that's low, um, will do the job. But, you know, we have been saying that for a long time. Look, ultimately, you're right, that cut to petrol excise, that's not an economic policy. That is an out and out, we heard you. And Pretty much everyone, even the economists who realise it's not great economics, say, what could the government do? They had to respond to the pain. But the problem is, as you say, there's that booby trap in six months' time. You know, what's if it's Labor, what are they going to do? If it's the government, what are they going to do? Are they really, when petrol prices are probably still high, going to say, oh, they're going up tomorrow by 22 cents a litre? You know, that's going to be really, really hard to do. And just ask Peter Costello. I still think he's smarting over John Howard freezing petrol indexation in perpetuity. You know, they could never find the time to reverse that measure. So... Yeah, that will be popular. That will help. Um, ultimately, though, it's it's $8.6 billion of a sugar hit, as you say, time perfectly for an election. And the $250, yeah, people would love that, of course. Who doesn't want to be given $250? But if you average that over a year, that's about 5 bucks a week, and that's about what Amanda Vanstone scoffed at as the sandwich and milkshake um, payment once, wasn't it? So, you know, people are still going to be hurting when that $250 is spent. The problem for the government, though, is that they didn't really have much room to do much more. Any larger cash splash will fuel inflation. Already a lot of the economists I heard last night were suggesting that that um, nearly $9 billion of handouts is in danger of you know, putting pressure on the RBA to live rates sooner than they otherwise would have. You know, there, there goes your $250 check if that happens. And they also can't really be seen to adding more to the already eye-watering post-pandemic debt and deficit ledgers, despite terrifically strong forecasts on unemployment and some forecasts positive on wages growth. The budget really is in a sorry state. You know, droughts, floods, the pandemic and, and the war on Europe, as the Treasurer invoked at the start of his speech last night, all these factors have taken a bite out of it. So there's a lot of pressure on the government who are trying to spruik through this election campaign their credentials as the best economic managers. Um, but they had to do something more because people are hurting and they had to do something more if they're going to have any chance of winning this election. Oh, well, they had no choice. This is honestly the last, you know, last stab at trying to win an election and demonstrate that, as you said it so beautifully, we're listening. We're listening. We want to help you. And even when the economists critique, for instance, of the petrol excise being reduced was put to the the treasurer in his um, budget uh, during the lock up. He does a press conference. I went along to it when he was quizzed on that. He just says, it doesn't really even address the economic critique. He kind of just says, well, people people are desperate for help, you know, so 
Yeah, people are desperate. People, are, a lot of people are always desperate, but that doesn't mean you know that didn't stop Tony Abbott in his first budget. And that was my, that's why I was going to ask you, PK, because when you go into a budget normally, there's a, a document which has the sort of the savings and the the spendings, and the savings is code for cuts. Where are the cuts in this budget? <laughs> I haven't heard much about it. Uh, funny that. Look. Um Labor claims there's future sort of earmarked $3 billion cuts. The government contests that. So let's park that, but there's no detail What's on that. What sort of unidentified cuts? Just yeah, yeah, yeah. And very savings. much forward estimates, right? Um, Labor says that Josh Frydenberg, I quizzed him on, him on on that very issue this morning on RM Breakfast, he, you know, is contesting um, the framing of that. Okay. And then there's cuts that they usually outline, right? Budget paper number two. It's always been my favourite budget paper of all the budget papers. <laughs> um, get into it, anyone. Although you, you may not get what I usually get from that budget paper because it's it's such an election politically loaded budget that there is none of that. Uh, you know, which government would go into an election cycle and really risk, um, you know, cutting people's um, prosperity, cutting people's payments, cutting services at this time. Um, so no, well, not apart a lot from of that. Cutting services. We've had all these royal commissions that lay out the pressure and the scale of the job of government to fund services like aged care and disability services. You know, these are sitting there as huge spending outcomes. Labor's going to throw down the gauntlet. We know that already because Anthony Albanese outlined that I think in his last year budget speech about childcare. So there's you know there's big spending. Um, items and and sectors out there still to come, which the government's going to have, any government yeah. of any colour is going to have to find um, the money for. Labor's, you know, attack on the on the budget, even before it was outlined and certainly since, is that this is not a plan for the future to build a future economy. It's a plan to get the government elected. Has the government done enough to counter that in election campaign? There is money in here for skills. There is money in here for, you know, um, many thousands more apprentices, uh, subsidies for small businesses to hire apprentices, subsidies for small business to get more uh, update their their IT, um, you know, effectiveness. So there is some sort of future programs that are being at least a tilt made out here. Is it enough to give them that credential? I I thought that it was kind of short on vision. Personally, it's so structured around a tight um, time frame, uh, an election time frame that th there wasn't a lot there. I mean, there is building on, for instance, um, uh, announcements from even last year, more on mental health after last year's announcement. There's uh, a significant women's package, particularly around domestic violence and family violence. Um, you know, I still think a lot more work needs to, to happen in that space, but there is commitments there. So there is uh, there there is more in this budget. This is just a, a quick stock take that we do on, on we record on yeah. a Wednesday morning, to be fair. But um, I think that, that there is people are right to to criticise that there isn't enough of that sort of future planning here, and I think we've also got a taste in this budget of exactly the price tag that uh, Barnaby Joyce extracted for his um, uh, agreement, and we know he didn't come to that easily for uh, net zero emissions by twenty fifty. I think it's in the in the uh, in the around twenty billion dollars in kind of regional and infrastructure dams, all of that spending put put that together. Um, if you accumulate all that spending, you can see the price tag there. Um, so there's 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 all of that in the budget. But just to, on to Labor's response, 
interesting from Labor and and I think smart politics, although I'm not not sure that the, you know, that the economy is necessarily in in need of it. But Labor says, yeah, 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 you know, we're not going to have a fight over any of this. And of course they wouldn't. What are they going to do? Say... Oh no! So we we're not going to give a, you two hundred and fifty bucks a week. Yeah, or, yeah, or your fuel, so. your fuel will stay high. We're not going to. So you'd have to be actually completely mad to go into an election campaign opposing any of it. But they will then, if they are successful at winning government, no guarantees of that. But if they are, inherit some of these problems, and they know it. They are worried about it. Um, and, you know, will it be Albanese, for instance, in six months' time, increasing petrol prices, which is how it will be framed? Mm. That's very difficult, I think. And, uh, PK, just finally, reminding everyone we are going to have a full Party Room episode tomorrow, as usual, recorded on a Thursday, released on Thursday with the guest. Um, but just as the Prime Minister was setting off on his budget roadshow to set up his election campaign... He's been hit by friendly fire. You might be getting the picture that Morrison is not interested in the rules-based order. It is his way or the highway. An autocrat, a bully who has no moral compass. PK, that's going to hurt, isn't it? Oh, yeah. What a sting. And timing is everything, Fran. Everyone knows that. Not only <laughs> sure in politics, is. but in, in any part of life, right? Like the when you time such things matters. So this is just to, just to create the drama because it was dramatic. This is the night that the treasurer of the country, Josh Frydenberg, is delivering this all-important budget, which is being very much seen as the last chance for the government to kind of reset its messaging and to try and woo voters back who are disenfranchised and grumpy, right? Big night for the government. Conchetta for Avanti Wells stands up late in the Senate and smashes the Prime Minister in the most personal way. No moral compass. Uh, calling him a bully and and his uh, minister, Alex Hawke, who is his factional ally and sort of known to be, and I'm using this word in a political sense, he's kind of head kicker in New South Wales in politics. It was brutal. Yes, uh, those in the Liberal Party will tell you, oh, you know, this is factional. Well, they said that about uh, the Labor problems too, didn't they? Like Labor people, it's all factional. Yeah, it might be factional, but here is a female senator who has been pushed down the Senate ticket, genuinely aggrieved, saying the Prime Minister of the country who's about to face an election in her own political party is not fit for office, Fran. It's a big deal. It's a big deal and I would say, I mean, we'll talk about this more tomorrow, I'm sure, because we had some really um, emotional speeches from uh, some Labor uh, female MPs too this week in the Senate, and the condolence motion for Kimberly Kitchen. We'll talk about all of this in that full episode. But, you know, I think this puts paid to any government attack over the Mean Girls um, story um, of that being an ongoing line of attack for the government, I think, against Labor. I think there's no way the Prime Minister can get into that now, can he? We just, how do you pursue it? Because then yeah. the, the answer is, right, like, hang on a minute, how about your own senator? And he was quizzed yeah. about that this morning, as you'd expect. I asked Josh Frydenberg too. Their answer is, well, she can make a complaint through the system. Oh, there's someone else. You know, unfortunately, Kimberly Kitching is no, no longer able to do that. But again, Anthony Albanese used a similar form of words, which yes. is, you know, she could have gone through the processes. It's... It basically blunts any ability for the Prime Minister to say anything about that. And look, he wasn't, I don't think, getting very far with any of that anyway. But this is a really big headache for him. And just one last comment. Can't help myself, Fran. 
bit excited after a long show, you remember. Uh, but ultimately, we now have footage of a senator in the government standing up saying the Prime Minister is not fit for office. If that doesn't make it in an ALP election ad, well, I'll eat my hat. I reckon it'd be up on social media in about half an hour, probably. Already. We probably just missed it. (laughs) Exactly. Okay, we'll be back tomorrow. See you, PK. See you, Fran. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.